Okay, and the next reading is from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 12. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, we have began our series in the Lord's Prayer last week, and we just did the first line, Our Father in Heaven. And I wonder if you've tried that prayer practice that I invited you to do, sitting each day for 10 minutes in the presence of their loving Heavenly Father, being reminded of his generous love, patience, welcome, and forgiveness that he has for you. I thought to myself, I haven't done this myself for a while, so I thought I'd better do it. And what I discovered was that I was quite restless. I don't know if anyone else tried this. I, it's hard to sit still for 10 minutes without agenda, isn't it, in our busy world? And yet it's so worth it. So if you've struggled a bit with that, I encourage you to continue to go to your Heavenly Father and to be still before Him. Because the foundation of Christian prayer is that we are known and embraced by this Heavenly Father. Through the saving work of Jesus on the cross, we know this. And His Holy Spirit is with us. We can talk to God anytime, anyplace. And as we grow in our capacity to pay attention to the God who's always paying attention to us, as we experience his love for us in prayer, what happens is our prayer lives uh, become richer and they become fueled by desire rather than duty. We're going to look at the next three lines of the prayer though today. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Those three lines are essentially about the same thing. They flow into each other and they are saying, God, you first in everything. Hallowed be your name. We're praying. We want your name, Heavenly Father, Son and Holy Spirit, to be honoured, to be special, to be famous above any other name, even my name, we say. It would be good, we pray, if everyone came to know and worship you, God. We want you to be Lord and King over all. Your kingdom come. Now, the Gospels teach us that God's kingdom has come already, that it began and was secured by King Jesus himself on the cross. His resurrection points to the new life and the restoration for all in this world and for this world. But Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a tiny little thing that was planted in the ground and it grows and becomes a tree, an enormous tree where the trees, birds come and perch in the branches. When Jesus dies, he's like the seed in the ground, isn't he? And he rises to new life and we see 
uh, what the future is, what our hope is, eternal life. But it's still growing. The kingdom is not fully realised here. And so we uh, ask God to fulfil what he began in Jesus, trusting that this will bring complete healing, peace and restoration to the earth when Jesus returns. And so we pray your will be done on earth as in heaven because we believe that in heaven God dwells and reigns unopposed. And we want that here too, don't we? We want the perfect love and rule of God to drive out all evil and suffering and sin. We want selfish rule to cease in this world. What God desires and planned for us in this world is better than we can imagine. If we've become Jesus' friends, we've developed an appetite for God's will and his kingdom. I don't know when you were a small child whether someone baked for you and if you ever got to lick the beater or the spoon. This is one of my favourite memories when my mum made pavlova, that I would get to lick the beater. And it tastes so good. It's just a taste. It's not actually the end. And you sit and you wait. You've had the taste and you can't wait for that thing to come out of the oven and get your slice. Well, this is what it's like. Christians have been forgiven. They've been set free by Jesus. And as the Spirit draws us near to God and reforms our hearts, we start to experience more of that liberation in our lives. As we find our place in God's family in the church, we start to experience some of the love and care of belonging to God's family. This is God's will. And when we pray, we say, we want more. We can't wait. We know that the world is destined for greater things than even the best of what we have here now. So these three lines of the prayer are very powerful. They're very bold. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is the cry of the church through time and space. Our Father in heaven, we want you here. We want you first, everywhere and in everything. So how will we pray this? How will we become prayers of this? Well, we can pray the Lord's Prayer. That's a good thing to do regularly. I think sometimes it becomes so familiar, we just forget what we're saying. But go to that, you might go to that prayer and start praying it again very mindfully. But there are other ways that we already pray this prayer, and I just want to talk about them. The first way is we pray these three lines as a lament. Okay, this is a good way to pray those three lines. Because when sorrow and struggle is overwhelming, when we feel like God is far off and maybe even absent in our world or in our lives, when we can't remember what it is to taste and see his goodness, then what we can do is cry out and say, things are not the way they should be. Where are you, God? Your kingdom come. There are lots of Psalms like this. If you read the Psalms, you'll see lots of people crying out like this to God. And Jesus himself cries out like this on the cross. My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? The best response to those dark times is not to be given over to despair, but to pray and to grow nevertheless. Bring in your kingdom. May the name of Jesus be lifted up. Let the healing of the cross be applied to the sick, the suffering, and the persecuted. Right at the end of the Bible, there's that little prayer that John prays in Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the same prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, as this little part of the Lord's Prayer. 
And on July 2nd, we have a lament service coming up. I encourage you to be here because it is good to come together as the church and stop pretending that everything is okay. It is good to cry out together for God's kingdom to break into our broken world and for Jesus to return. Another way we pray those three lines is through prayers of intercession or petition. And we do this a lot in the church. Every week, uh, we do it from the front. We do it in community groups in a more personal way. You will do it in your time of prayer um, before the service. We did it on Wednesday night. And this is the regular practice of lifting our troubles and the troubles of the world before God. We do it remembering that Jesus came, that he died on the cross for the redemption of the world, but acknowledging that we see that human selfishness continues to do great harm. And so we come, we trust the Lord, we trust him to break in and reform governments. These are the kinds of prayers we pray from the front. We trust him to bring peace to war-torn places. We trust him to send rain where there is drought and famine. We trust him to comfort the healing and the sick. We say together in those kinds of praise, your ways are good, God. We know that you care and that you are powerful. Do your work. Heal and restore the brokenness around us. Bring more people to know you and worship you. Let your name be honoured by all. Well, when you, I'm going to give you some tips when you pray these kinds of prayers. A couple of things I want to say. Jesus said it in one of the readings. First of all, when you come to God with the troubles that you see around you, you don't need to tell him all the details about them because he knows, your heavenly father knows before you ask him. You can pray really boldly too, all right? Do you see the people in the Psalms? They say, bring down the oppressors. Well, you don't hear that much from the front, but seriously, there are some pretty evil rulers in this world. Why not pray boldly about these things? Jesus invites us to get involved with the work of the kingdom in prayer. Prayer is agency in God's kingdom. We say when we pray, bring your kingdom in here and now. We care about this too. We trust in you, Lord. Do it and count us in. When we pray like this, we allow God to spur us into action So if you start praying these things for the world, your kingdom come, don't be surprised if you start to learn more about parts of the world that you know nothing about now. Don't be surprised if you start raising your voice. You want to raise your voice for people who have no voice. Don't be surprised if you start to care more, if God starts to create this care in your heart and prayerfulness for other people. It's our Heavenly Father and he invites us to pray, not just for ourselves, but for the world. As I was thinking about this, I I, I was thinking about the kids of our church. And when our kids start to see that the world is full of troubles, we want to protect them. But actually, the best thing we can do for our kids is to teach them to pray. We've got this new word in our culture now, this new term, climate anxiety. This is a new term because of the climate uh, struggles that we have. And so many young people, three and four, I think, most people, but especially in young people, There's this despair about the future of the world and the future of their lives. And if we're bringing children up to know Jesus and to trust that God's kingdom is going to come in all its fullness, then what we need to help them to do is not to despair, but to hope and to get on board with God's work in renewing this world.
right? We trust in God. God is going to come and renew this world totally one day. But in the meantime, we trust him and we work beside him and we pray. And so, yeah, I remember taking one, my youngest daughter, you know, in the time where you had great rallies, we would go to those climate justice rallies that Greta Thunberg began and she would make her posters and so on. But we would pray as well. I didn't want her to fall into despair because there's no need. God's kingdom is coming. So these prayers that we say together, powerful prayers, lamenting and petitioning God, they're so important. But what about in our own personal prayer? I received various Connect cards from here and Clifton Hill last week, and I have a lot of conversations with people too, and I know that something a lot of us wonder is, is it okay to ask God for the desires of my heart? Can I ask for what I want? Can I ask for my will to be done? And we're praying for God's will to be done, but can I ask God to do my will, what I want as well? And the short answer is yes, definitely. We're invited to do this. Jesus tells parables about widows knocking on the door, persistently asking for what they want. Paul says in the Philippians, you know, uh, bring all kinds of requests to God. And many of us have prayed earnestly to God for all kinds of things and for circumstances in our lives to change, and some of us for long periods of time. And I've prayed alongside people for long periods of time too. This is a good thing to do. And many of the things we desire reflect the goodness of God's kingdom. They're about relationships, family, security, love, joy. But the fact is, we know, don't we, that we don't always get what we want from God. Sometimes when we pray those heart's prayers, our desires, we actually add on the end, but your will be done, Lord. Do you do this? You ask for something, say, but your will be done. It's kind of admitting, isn't it, that we, we, we need not know we need to wait and maybe we're not counting on God delivering that thing. Why does God say yes to some of us or, and wait or even no to others? Do you want to know? So do I. I can't say. I do know this, though. Not everything that we want will come to pass in this life. And maybe not even in the eternal life to come. It's helpful to see that that kind of praying, and this is maybe the issue with that kind of praying, when we ask God for the desires of the hearts, we're engaging in a kind of prayer that we might call functional prayer or transactional prayer. We ask, we may or may not get what we want. The problem is, if this is the only kind of prayer that we have... It's the only way we talk to God, then we will definitely become disillusioned and cynical. And it's my concern for our church and for churches in our culture where we are used to getting what we want a lot, maybe more than other people in other parts of the world. My concern is that people's faith are growing cold when their desires are not met. And it makes sense that if this is the way we only pray, we go to God when we want something, then God will become distant or seem uninterested or maybe unreliable or maybe not even powerful. But we know that this is actually not true about God. We know this because of Jesus. God is not uncaring. He is able to do what he wills. So there's another kind of prayer that I really want to encourage us all to grow in, which is formational prayer. Okay, you can have that transactional kind of prayer, but you need to grow, we all need to grow in formational prayer, which is where we submit ourselves to the life-changing work of the Holy Spirit. 
It's where we open ourselves up to having the preoccupations of our minds and the desires of our hearts reordered by God. It's opening ourselves up so that God can deal with our fears and anxieties so they're not driving us anymore in life. So instead of praying for something to happen out there in the world or in our circle, we start to pray differently. We start to pray like this, hallowed be your name. Lord, teach me to glorify your name before my own and let me speak your name to others. We start to pray, your kingdom come into my life. I give you back the rule of my life. Show me where I need to let go of worshipping anything else but you. Show me the idols of my life. The thing about praying like this is you don't know. It's not obvious to us where God wants to work and change. We are giving God the agenda. We pray your will be done on earth as in heaven. Show me what needs to be reformed in me. Involve me in the work of your kingdom in the world by the way I relate to others, by the way I work, study, play, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time. Lord, show me the good things that you want for me in my life, the things that I cannot see, that I cannot imagine on my own. Robin Wrigley Carr, who some of you may have heard of, she's the Associate Professor in Pastoral and Spiritual Care at Whitley College here in Melbourne. Um, She's written a lot about formational prayer and a few years ago in Eternity Magazine she wrote an article and I'll just read you a little part of it that I come back to often. She says, when we pray, we are seeking to align our will with God's, to search out where he is at work and participate in his action. In doing so, prayer becomes the place in which we practice obedience. Prayer is the place where we practice obedience. That might be a a new thought. It's where we are aligning ourselves not according to our own interests and desires, but to God's. So prayer becomes about God shaping us, not us shaping God. It's not something we master, but rather something we become. It's not about us getting something done, but about entering into what God is doing, cooperating with his work in us. The best example of formational prayer we have is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is formational prayer. He knows the cross is coming and he is wrestling with his desire to avoid suffering. He's understanding that this is what God willed for him. He knew this. Yet not my will but yours, he said. Three times, is that right? In the story, he goes back, he keeps going back. But notice that Jesus did not go kicking and screaming to the cross. He goes quietly because he had in that very difficult space of prayer become aligned with his Father's will. Jesus is God's son. And if he can wrestle with the desire to look after his own interests instead of the interests of the kingdom of God, then it is more than okay and totally normal that we should do so too, and vital if we're going to grow into the people of God. Okay, I'm going to tell you a couple of ways to get into formational prayer this week. You can pray the Lord's Prayer. 
But I encourage you to, to keep going with that practice I gave you last week, sitting quietly in God's presence. And as you sit with God, have your Bible open. Sometimes we separate reading the Bible, like it's some kind of academic study, with God's speaking to us. When we open the Bible, this is God speaking to us, and by his Spirit, he will show us how he wants to change us and how he wants his will to come into our lives and into our church. So open your Bible. You don't have to read a lot, but read something and respond to it with your Heavenly Father. Ask questions. Ask him to show you what it is that he wants to do in your life. As we grow in the knowledge of God's kingdom, uh, we will encounter it as we read scripture. When I first started to meet with a spiritual director, I agreed to do these prayer exercises where I would read a small portion of the Gospels. The idea was to draw near to Jesus and to get to know him better and to listen to God. I promised to do an hour a day. It was so hard. By the end of it, though, it was the, bit, it was the greatest joy and the most transformational thing that had happened in my life for 30 weeks, an hour a day, travelling with Jesus from the incarnation to his resurrection and ascension. And so I said, you, you probably do nothing better than to choose a gospel and just slowly read it day by day in the presence of God and invite him to make known to you what his will for you is, but also to help you to know him, to really draw into that relationship so that he's less than a, of an idea in our heads, the Heavenly Father, the Son, the Spirit that we cherish and draw near to. It's slow work, this kind of prayer, but it's good work. Sometimes you'll experience significant breakthroughs, you'll have great insight. You do, this does happen or some kind of wisdom that suddenly you understand something, but mostly it's slow. Some days you'll be alerted to um, some kind of sin that needs to be broken in your life. You might be freed from addictions, but often there's the wrestling. God, I want it this way, and recognising what God's way is. It's a virtuous circle, and I'm praying for you and for our church that we will grow in this kind of prayer so that we can say those three words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done wholeheartedly and with a kind of joy and almost desperation that God would make this happen in us and through us in this place. Imagine God's kingdom coming here and flowing out into our community. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that in your son Jesus... Your kingdom has come. And we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But we long for more. And we ask that you would not let us settle for the goodness that we have now, but that we would hunger and search for your will, that we would um, learn to love and speak your name, and that by your kindness you would send the Lord Jesus back but in the meantime, that we would grow in our maturity and faith and prayer. Amen.